Thank you, Mario. Psalm 62. Did you guys get a chance to read it? Some of you maybe who get here a little bit early, you can see the psalm up on the screen there, and it's a great opportunity to just kind of compare your heart and read through the psalm. We're going to read it now. Uh, but we're, gonna, we're not going to read it all together. We're not going to read it all at once. Uh, we're going to just take little bites out of it. So uh, once again, Lord, we just pray that as we now open your word, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us. We ask, Father, that we'd be able to see something that was so written, something that was written so long ago, and yet it is so pertinent, so applicable to our lives today. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us. We pray that you would, as we're in your word, we pray that hopefully it happened for many of us as we're just worshiping you, Lord, that kind of the weight of the things of this world were lifted. We thank you, Lord, for your peace. So we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking earlier today that um, out of all the books in the Bible, probably the book of the Bible that has the most tear-stained pages or, you know, thumb print, you know, worn pages would, would probably be the book of Psalms because it seems to be the place that we run to many times when we just either want to worship the Lord or to sit and meditate upon the Lord or in times of need, you know, maybe we're stressed out and we say, oh, Lord, please speak to me. And, and we have a tendency to run to the Psalms because they're, they're so broad in their application. And... Um, I think that's why we love the Psalms so much. They're, they're so personal. In fact, you know, this little Psalm, Psalm 62, we see the words, my, I, us. We see these words around 18 times in 12 short verses. And it's a personal thing. David, of course, was writing this. And so David is the my, David is the I, and then the us uh, referred to in the psalm would refer to those he was instructing in the psalm, through the psalm. And so look at the first two verses. It says, truly, my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense or, or strong tower. I shall not be greatly moved. Again, truly, my soul waits for God. Truly, truly, my soul waits for God. Or only, only my soul waits for God. Or alone, alone my soul waits for God. You say, what are you talking about? We don't see it in the English translation, but in the Hebrew translation, there is a Hebrew word, and we would pronounce it ak, A-K. And this Hebrew word that's used um, a number of times 
in the beginning, it's used uh, six times in the beginning of, of this Psalm, Psalm 62. We see it, this word ak, we see it in, um, let me find my place, in verse one, truly, in verse two, only, in verse four, only, in verse five, alone, in verse six, only, and then in verse nine, surely. So that word, David is telling us something in the very beginning of the psalm. Um, it's you alone that I seek. It's you alone that I, I come to for my expectations and my needs and, and the desires of my heart and all of these things. Truly, my soul silently, silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Now, I don't usually do this with the Psalms, but this morning as I was looking at the Psalm, and I thought, there's an outline here, and so I, I just kind of drew out an outline for the Psalm. Psalm 82, here's the outline that I came up with. Verses 1 and 2, David's declaration of faith in the Lord. Verses three and four, David, David comforts, or I'm sorry, David confronts and questions his opposers, uh, oppressors, excuse me. Verse five, David reassures himself. Verses six and seven, David repeats, in essence, I mean, there's some differences, but he repeats verses one and two with more determination. And then verses eight through 10, David teaches others. Verse 11, David reminds us of what God has said about himself. And then verse 12, David speaks directly to the Lord. I asked if you had read the psalm ahead of time. Now, of course, you wouldn't have known to read the psalm before you got here because you never know what psalm we're going to be teaching. But if you read the psalm, if you're familiar with the psalm, you know that the psalm doesn't ask anything of God. There are no petitions. There, there is no uh, fear um, necessarily, no despair. I mean, some of the things that we see in a lot of David's psalms, and not just David's psalms, but psalms in general, where there's an expression of fear or, or I need you, Lord, or, or whatever, we don't have any of that in Psalm 2. It's almost as if David just kind of... Um, I have nothing more to say, but I'm going to praise you, Lord. And I think that that's so beneficial when we just sit and praise. Do you guys do that? Do you, do you, I think most of us, if we're honest, we pray so little. Um, you know, I've said it, and I'm sure that every time I say it, People probably think, oh, there he goes again. But it's, but it's true. The prayer meeting in most churches is probably the smallest gathering in the whole of the church. It really doesn't matter how large the church is. I was talking years ago with a friend of mine. He pastors a church of 1,000 people. And so he's just asking kind of what our weekly schedule was. And I had mentioned Sunday evening prayer. And I said, it's a small group. You know, we have maybe uh, maybe eight, maybe 12, you know, people that, that show up 
to that. And he says, you have that many people that show up to your prayer meeting? And I said, yeah, it's not very many people. And he said, we have a thousand member church. We, there's no way we can get that many people to come out to a prayer meeting. Um, he, like many pastors, he had gone back to uh, Brooklyn, New York to go to uh, the church Jim, that Jim Cimbala teaches, the Brooklyn, or pastors, the J Brooklyn Tabernacle, Brooklyn Tabernacle. They have the Brooklyn Tabernacle, Tabern I can't even say it, choir, which is, I guess, world famous, but, but he went to that church because this church, probably 1,500 people, I don't know how big it is now, but in Brooklyn, New York, I think it must be bigger than 1,500. I think on their Tuesday night prayer meeting, they have 1,500 people that show up. It's just absolutely amazing. But as individuals, you know, I think sometimes we, we get going, we start our days, it's hustle, bustle, we're go, go, go. We're kind of praying on the fly, you know, Lord, protect me here, Lord, wake me up, Lord, give me a good day, whatever it might be. But do we ever just stop and and just sit, maybe find a quiet place, and, and just sit, and, and, and without even saying it, we don't have to say, Lord, I don't have any petitions, but we just sit down, and we just say, Lord, I, I love you. I love you, Lord. I, I'm so thankful, Lord, for this. I'm so, so thankful for that. We're just kind of expressing, expressing our gratitude, and our, we're praising him, we're thanking him. This is something that should flow naturally from the believer's heart. Praise. And that's what we see with David. Truly, my soul silently, silently waits for God. What are you waiting for, David? You know, I think it's safe to say that this psalm, especially when you read through it, was written during a time or after a time of trouble. And yet again, he doesn't say, help, Lord. No, he does in other psalms, so I'm not making fun of that approach. I mean... There's times we do that. But, but in this particular psalm, I, I just found it interesting that David doesn't ask for help. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't ask for anything of the Lord. The psalm doesn't ask of, of anything of the Lord. It just begins with praise. It focuses, he, David, <coughs> excuse me, David focus, focuses his attention on the Lord, and he just begins by praising him. Charles Spurgeon, you guys read much Spurgeon? Spurgeon's kind of hard to read. Um, usually when I read a Spurgeon quote, I kind of rework it so, so that it might be a little bit uh, easier understood. But th here's a reworked Spurgeon quote. The natural mind is ever prone to reason when we ought to believe. The natural mind is prone to be at work when we ought to be quiet. The natural mind is prone to go its own way when we ought to walk in God's way. End of quote. Spurgeon, of course, he was referred to as the prince of preachers, and, you know, what a man he was, what a man that God used, Spurgeon. I mentioned, I think, a few weeks ago, probably the last time I taught on Wednesday night, that at Spurgeon's Tabernacle, where he taught 6,000 seats, which was amazing at the time that Spurgeon lived. 
you know, you just didn't have churches like that. There were no mega churches in Spurgeon Day, but, but he happened to pastor one. And how in the basement of his church, he had 500 people down there praying during the service as he would be up, you know. Prayer is so important. Prayer is so important. We need to develop a healthier prayer life. When I come to the end of my life, if someone was to ask me, is there anything you regret? I think I'll, I'll say with ease, I regret that I didn't pray more. Because pray, prayer is, um, <laughs> we accomplish more in prayer than we do in any other aspect of life. I mean, honestly. I was asking Denise about their great-granddaughter. We are praying for her, the few that came to <laughs> Sunday night prayer. We were, spent some time praying for her. You know, she was born premature and two months old. Now she's five pounds. And anyway, some headway, some movement going forward in a positive way. And I was thinking as Denise was sharing the positive things that are happening, you know, God hears, God God answers prayer god prayer is important you know these things many times we'll pray for things and we almost go our way and we forget about it until we hear the praise report and then we say oh you know we prayed about that specific thing well anyway david i look at this was it praise was it prayer truly my soul silently waits for god from him comes my salvation see it's almost as if it's not directed to god the way it reads, huh? It's like he's speaking to other people and he's kind of instructing them. My soul silently waits for God. Uh, from him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense, my high tower. I shall not be greatly moved. And that word moved, it means shaken. He says, I shall not be greatly shaken. Then he changes direction here, and he questions, seemingly, his attackers, those who were oppressing him. And he asks them a question. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They, they bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. And then he says, Selah, ponder that. Stop, think about that. Think about what I just said. Um, David, as he addresses those who were oppressing him, I, I was thinking of... Uh, the nation that David came from. I was thinking of Israel, of course. We look at the world today, and I was thinking of what David wrote so long ago, and of course I think it was a personal thing that he was dealing with, but again, it's applicable uh, in so many ways to so many people, generation after generation. But when it says, they only consult to cast him down from his high position, they delight in lies, they're liars. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. I was thinking of, this is what we're watching presently. The leaders of the world, um, 
Now, I need to clarify that. The Western leaders of the world, because the uh, Middle East or the Eastern, you know, leaders of the world, I don't, we know where they stand on these things, but the Western leaders of the world, they right now are saying to Israel, we stand with you, we're with you. They bless with their mouth, but they curse. They curse, I mean, almost immediately, they, they curse inwardly. It's so apparent, you know, as a man speaks, as a man thinks, you know, so is he. Um, eventually, it will make its way out. I mean, just listen to a person talk long enough, and you'll be able to, you know, see into the depths of their heart to a degree. So you have the nations of the world, you know. Last week, we were happy that our president was standing with Israel. Oh, good, at least he's doing something right now. But, you know, here we are a week later, not even a full week later, and, you know, you're seeing, you see it with Biden, you see it with the leader of France and the leader of Germany and the leader of the UN and, and uh, you know, all of these leaders, they're, they're speaking long enough to the, where the, the reality of their heart, what they really feel inside, is being exposed. And that exposure is, we don't care about Israel. We can care less about you. Um, we'll bless you to your face. You've got our back. You know, we're here. And, and, and some of you might say, oh, hold on, Dan. You better back up. You know, we have aircraft carriers in the, in the region. Well, we do. I know. I'm aware of what's happening there in the region. But I'm not sure that we're seeing or we're really understanding what we're seeing there. You know, they are saying that we're on the verge of World War III. Well, we know what a world war is. It's not, it's not something happening in one area, but <laughs> many areas. And, um, and, and we see the tensions, we see the temperature rising, and you just think, what in the world is going on? We know where Biden we, we know what uh, he thinks about Israel because he expressed it for eight years during the Obama administration and before. And so he says one thing out of one side of his mouth and then he does another thing out of the other side of his mouth. You know, we're sitting there, we're watching. Israel was supposed to go in a week ago on foot into the Gaza Strip to deal with this. But now, you know, they don't have the world's approval like they did a week ago. A week ago, people were expressing their sympathy for Israel. Now they're saying, no, you, you better be careful. Don't, don't do this. Don't do that. And so everyone's an expert now. Everyone's telling Israel how they need to deal with it. And we're watching Israel being cursed. And this should get our attention because anti-Semitism, as I've mentioned before, it is demonic in nature, but it is also prophetic in nature. It is something that was prophesied that would happen in the last days. We're in the last days. For the critic that says, oh, you can't say we're in the last days. We're in the last days. All the signs are lining up. And, and I never thought that we would see this particular sign, but we're seeing this sign of growing hatred. I could not help, I cannot help but think, when you see the pro-Palestinian, which many times bleeds over to even pro-Hamas, which is absolutely insane. And you have people that are deliberately ignorant, you know, closing their eyes to what has happened in, the Gaza, uh, in Israel, the south and southern 
part of Israel. The things that have been said, they're so horrific. They make me cringe. I'm, I'm not, I don't like to hear about, gra gra I don't like to hear graphic details of violence anyway. But some of the things that have come out, they are absolutely hideous. I don't know if you've listened to any of the um, Palestinians. Now, these are not Hamas. These are Palestinians. These are the civilians. These are the innocent civilians that came across the border, and they were told to do whatever you want, to crush their heads, to remove their heads. I mean, just hideous things. I won't even say it because the things are, you know, you hear it, and it just sticks in your head, and then it comes up at the most unlikely times. And as they have, you know, they caught some of these Palestinians and they've questioned them. And of course, it's, it's, you could watch the interviews with them. And many of these men are saying, when asked, how, how has uh, what you guys did, how is that any different from what ISIS does? And they admitted Hamas has become ISIS. We are ISIS. We have done things that no human being should ever do. Uh, you know, they're acknowledging now that they've crossed the line, you know. And uh, it's just absolutely horrible. But I was thinking of Jews. I was listening to an interview. I'm going to get back to the psalm. You say, oh, Dan, you always go off on this. You know, I try to deal with the elephant in the room. I, I've always been like that. Whatever the... Whatever we're dealing with at any given time, I think that we could get some, you know, insight from the scriptures, and so I'm definitely going to touch on those things. But I was thinking, I was listening to an interview, um, a Jewish professor at a college, and how he wasn't able to go to these different meetings because of security. Um, his, his son uh, was playing football or soccer or something like that. And his son said to uh, him when the son got home from the game and everything, he says, you know, Dad, if you would have shown up at our game wearing your yarmulke, they would have killed you. They would have killed you. That's what the son, this is in America, by the way. This is in America. And I thought, how must the Jews feel? I mean, you know, for them, and, and, and again, for, from our perspective, from, you know, because we've never dealt with this, we'd say, oh, they got to get over the Holocaust. I mean, that was a long time ago, you know. Um, why do you bring up the Holocaust, the Holocaust? Oh, because this was a reality for, for them. Maybe not for this generation, but surely for their parents or grandparents. And I was thinking of how frightening it would be if we were in places, you go to the mall or you go to the mall, what a joke. Do malls even exist any longer? When you go to a mall, it's depressing because everything's closed down. But, but you go to some place where there's a lot of people and you have people chanting, gas the Christians, gas the Christians, gas the Christians. I mean, you would, as a Christian, you're either going to say, man, I'm not, gonna, I'm not fessing up to that. I'm going to, you know, a lot of people, they would begin to deny that they're Christians almost immediately. But think of how you'd feel. You'd feel so threatened. You'd feel like, what have I ever done to you? You hate me with, with such a deep hatred because I'm a Christian? And that's what the Jews are dealing with. You look at the things that the 
um, <laughs> different individuals in the Bible, what they went through. It's almost as if it's like a, a type of what the nation would go through in the future. Um, you know, the, the oppression, the hatred, the senseless, you know, attack, the kind of wondering, why is this happening? And, and we know that David truly uh, felt those things. Now it says, you shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. I, I thought this was interesting because, you know, there's a disagreement among scholars, Bible scholars and commentators on who this is referring to. The, the um, leaning wall and the tottering fence. Now, in the King James, New King James, if you have the King James Bible, it's obvious how it reads. It's referring to those who are oppressing. It's speaking of the enemy. But Bible scholars, some Bible scholars and commentators are saying, well, we're not quite sure if, if, it, if it is applying to those oppressors of David. And, and some have suggested that it might be that David might say, I am <laughs> the wall. I am the fence. You know, in my weakness, you're coming against me. I'm, I'm ready to go down as it is. And you're coming against me. And we see this, you know, in the um, English Standard Version, for example. Let me read that to you. It says, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. So we don't know. Was David saying at this time, was it, was it such a difficult time in David's life? We don't know when David wrote this psalm. We don't know what he was going through or anything like that. But I wonder, was David saying, you know, I'm almost going down. I feel like I'm going down for the count. Of course, the Lord would sustain him and keep him strong and everything. We know that David struggled many times. He struggled with doubt. You know, we look at David and we say, man, what a great man of God. He was a great man of God. What a great warrior. He was a great warrior. But, you know, the best of them doubted at times. We saw that with Elijah. You know, Elijah, the 400 prophets of Baal, and, you know, this victory. And you, see, you talk about standing alone. You know, it seems like Elijah is all by himself on Mount Carmel. You know, go get more water. No, more water. More water. Pour it on that thing. And then he just speaks. And the, the offering, the, the sacrifice is consumed. And the water is lap, lapped up, you know. And there's Elijah, the prophet of God. You go to Israel today and you go on Mount Carmel. And there's a little, uh, I don't know if it's a monastery. It's a building, old stone building. I mean, it's not super old, but... And there's a statue of Elijah uh, standing, I, I believe he's standing on the head of one of the slain, uh, you know, prophets of Baal. And he's victorious. But of course, we, we know in the account, you know, as soon as Jezebel finds out what happened to her prophets that would dine at her table. I mean, she must have had a big table or a busy schedule, you know, but, but uh, when he heard that she was coming after him, I'm going to get him, I'm going to kill him. He runs, he hides, and he loses perspective completely. 
He feels completely all alone. I'm all alone, Lord. I'm all alone. So maybe it was David that was feeling this. Look at verse 5. In verse 5, David seems to reassure himself. Now watch this. My soul, wait silently for God alone. For my expectation or hope is in him. Did you catch it? It's subtle. It's easy to miss. You say, well, he's just simply repeating what he said earlier. Well, no, no, no. There's a variation here. At the beginning, verse 1, truly my soul, uh, my soul silently waits with an S for God. In verse 5, my soul wait silently for God alone. It seems as if David is saying now to his soul, wait. Wait. David would say, in the beginning, my soul waits for the Lord. I trust in the Lord. I wait for the Lord. But, but, but further down in the psalm, it's almost as if he's speaking to himself, you know, speaking to himself, speaking to himself, his soul, you know, maintain the steadfastness. Stay in this position of trust, you know, waiting on the Lord. The Lord is your hope. And then verse 6. He only is my rock. He seems to repeat what he said earlier. And my salvation. He is my defense. You know, that defense, David, um, as a warrior, a defense, a high tower. You kind of picture maybe David, uh, maybe when he was hiding out in the, one of the caves, you know, or, or as many battles. And I'm sure that there were times that David felt very, very secure. There's no way. He, he felt very confident in his ability. There's one entrance. They come in this way. We're killing them. I'm sure that David felt that way. Uh, we have nothing to worry about. I'm taking a nap. I'm going to sleep. You know, uh, we have nothing. But I think there were other times that David felt very vulnerable. And we're kind of like that, aren't we? I mean, sometimes we wake up and say, oh, I love the Lord. I trust the Lord. Uh, the Lord could do anything. And we have all these proclamations. And then before the days out, we would say, oh, Lord, where are you? I need you. You know, why are you so far from me? And, and it's like, you know, it just speaks of the fickleness of, of, uh, of humans. We're, we're, we're erratic. We're, we're, you know, emotional roller coaster like this. This is why we should renounce and we should be embarrassed by the Christians that proclaim as if they're, you know, kind of this whole... I hate it when there's a quoting of scripture that applies specifically to Israel. Like, um, I am the head and not the tail. You know, you hear Christians, some Christians will proclaim things like that, you know. I am more than a victor. Oh, good. So uh, let me see you when, you know, when things go bad. Let me see you when difficulties come. Let me see uh, you know see if you're still there because if you're still there then that's that's a reality for you. The fact of the matter is it is a reality. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. But the fact of the matter is is that we deal emotionally with things. There is this there's this up and down reality of life that we deal with. I think that we should do our due diligence 
And I think that we should, as families, probably be putting stuff away. Things that don't perish, canned food or whatever. I think we should be doing our due diligence. Because we already know. See, we already see it coming. It's like, it's like a, a train off in a distance, you know. And you're, I see it. I see the, you know. And, uh, and, and many times, you know, it's almost as if we don't want to pay attention to it until it's right there, right in front of us. And then we go, oh, man, it's too late. But I think that, you know, if anything we've learned in the past three years is that a lot of things could happen. In fact, a lot of things has happened that we never thought would happen with us here, the church here. So we don't know how long it may be before the Lord comes. I look at what's happening in the world, and I think that there are leaders, and I think we have one in the White House, that is hungry for war. And I think that's where we're heading. Because war is beneficial at times. And uh, I don't know about you, but that frightens me. I would sure hate to fight a war in the United States of America. Wouldn't he yield? can imagine you know we kind of we, we go places Vietnam Korea Iraq Afghanistan we go places so we hear about it but for most of us I mean unless you're married to someone who's in the military you have a child you know that's in the military then it becomes I'm sure a much different thing for you personally. But for most of us, you know, we, we don't think about the war. We don't think about the, you know, the people on the front lines. We just, we don't think in those terms because it's not something that we've had to deal with. But, you know, we, we think of Israel and isn't it uh, pompous to, uh, that other nations would tell a nation that's been attacked, that's literally surrounded by their enemies, that do not want a two-state solution, that want the elimination of Israel, of the people, of the Jews, completely eliminate them. Isn't it, isn't it arrogant to say, this is how you need to deal with the problem? Rather than backing off, you want to be supportive, backing off and saying, uh, which you know, seems to be the case. I mean, this is at least what we're hearing right now, that the reason those aircraft carriers are out there is to make sure that Iran doesn't get involved in this, this whole thing because then you've got a real mess on your hands. And hopefully they'll, they'll you know, continue. I mean, that's what they're saying. Hopefully they'll continue with that. But you know, guys, how many people have come across our open borders over the past number of years? We've allowed them to come in since Biden has been in the White House. We have no idea who's come across the border. Again, we don't want to think about it. Because we'd like it to be Israel's problem, not our problem. Israel, you know those people, they're just different. They, 
They, uh, they live by the sword, they die by the sword. Only because they have to. Israel, you know, the, you have a, a nation that's uh, <laughs> there to serve in the military. Why do they do that? Because they're patriotic? Because they have to. I mean, it's just a reality of necessity. Um, we haven't had to face that, but could you imagine if we had to face that? Do you think your emotions would kind of go like this? I, th I know that my emotions would be going like that. I don't think I would stand up and say, nothing could touch me, I'm a child of God. I'd be saying, lock your doors. In fact, you know, it sounds so silly, the changes that have happened, but we lock our doors of the church. You come 10 minutes late, you start knocking on that door if you want to get in because the doors are locked 10 minutes after we, we, we started service. We never did that. We used to have the doors open all the time. We'd have not just one door, we'd have multiple doors open. People could walk into the church. We used to have people that would come into the church. Sometimes I'd come out of my office, they'd be sitting there in the sanctuary, you know, just make me jump out of my skin and go, oh, hi, you know, oh, I just wanted to come in and sit down and, you know, oh, okay, you know. But we don't do that anymore. I mean, I, I go out my office door to work in the yard of the church here, and I make sure my office door is locked. Because we've had people come in and it hasn't been a good situation. We lock our doors down. I mean, you think of this, it's a minor thing, isn't it? But it's a new thing. And by the way, it's not just us, it's not just paranoid Calvary Chapel, Oak Harbor. Every church that I know, every pastor that I know, the Calvary Chapel pastor, they do the same thing. I mean, the idea of church security is so foreign to me. I remember back in the day, I remember when the big churches had security. I remember when I was at a conference one time and security, someone had threatened Greg Laurie's life and uh, security walked him up to the platform and when he was done teaching, security walked him down and walked him out of the building and there was a threat that, of something happening that night at that place and so they were taking it seriously. And I remember looking at that and thinking, wow, man, that's, you know, that's what the kind of what the big pastors, you know, this is what they have to deal with. But now you have little churches, little gatherings, we all do this type of thing because we don't want to be taken by surprise. We're doing our due diligence. I mean, we're getting a little bit closer. Why do we lock down? Why do we lock down the children's ministry? Because we don't want just anybody walking in. Do you know, on a Wednesday night, not that long ago, during the summer, we had a guy come up banging on the door, and he was upset about something, remember that? And he just was unhinged. and. I was really disturbed that this guy felt comfortable coming into the courtyard because he had to come through a gate and then to bang on the glass door to get in. And I just felt very uncomfortable because it would be like walking into someone's backyard. 
because I have an issue with you. It's kind of like, oh, back off. This is our yard. This is our property. Get off our property, you know. The same guy, he lives somewhere around here. He's got a chip on his shoulder. I don't know what his problem is. I've been, I was doing a little job out front here, and he walks right up on me. And, and I'm not easily intimidated. I'm probably very naive about what I could do, but it's just who I am. I am not easily intimidated. And I just kind of looked up at him, kind of a tall guy. I looked up at him. I didn't say a word to him, but it was kind of like, yeah? <laughs> you know, because it's like he just wants to intimidate. I saw him two weeks ago, the few of us out in the courtyard. And he walks by and he's just looking, giving us a stink eye. It's like, what's your problem? Now he's just an unhinged, grumpy old fart. I think of Israel dealing with their unhinged people. I think we need to be aware that there are unhinged people who don't like us because we're Christians. I mean, you know, it was silly during COVID that we had the little protesters, you know, out here because we were endangering, I don't know what we were endangering, you know. But, but anyway, you know, it was a silly thing. Um, it was a silly thing when we had the two guys out here protesting because, you know, I teach the rapture of the church, pre-trib rapture of the church. They're silly things. But it wouldn't be too silly if we had 100 people out there chanting things, saying things, feeling strong because there's strength in numbers. It feels intimidating. We'd probably say, even though many of you would probably reach back and grab your gun, I'm going out, you know. But most of us would we'd probably say, hey, guys, let's just not go anywhere. Let's just call the police. Let's just get them out here. We don't want anything to escalate. We, 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 have, we have children that we want to protect. So let's just, let's just, you know, play it cool and everything. Anyway, I think that we need to do our due diligence. I think that we need to recognize the Lord is my defense. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my expectation. I want to ask you an honest question. And I don't want you to answer. I just want you to think about it. When you heard about and saw the images on your television or your whatever you watch news on, and we saw the things that were happening in Israel, southern Israel, at the kibbutz, at the music uh, gathering, this peace gathering that they were having, did you think for a moment in your heart as a Christian, it's those Jews, they rejected Jesus. That could never happen to me because I'm a Christian. And that can never happen to me. Do you know what's happening right now to Christians in the world? I just watched it, a little thing. They say over... 1,000, 1,500 Christians from Armenia. They have had to leave absolutely everything. All they could take is what they could carry with them. They are displaced. They are starting their lives all over again. 
They're Christians. How's that happening? Guys, we need to go back to what the Bible says. Jesus, you know what Jesus promised us? Persecution. That's something he promised us. The Jews are hated because it's a demonic hatred. The Christian is hated because of Christ. And we need to understand it's demonic as well, but, but it's because of Christ. And we need to realize that, that we need to trust the Lord. We should trust the Lord. Verse 8, look at David. David instructs others. He says, do this. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. This is something we should do. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, Lord, I'm afraid of the things I'm seeing in the world. Oh, Lord, I don't want to think of a, a war. Oh, Lord, I don't want my son and my daughter or my daughter to be drafted into the military. Oh, Lord, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't, I don't want my life to be shaken. None of us do. You know, um, I'll keep going or I'll never finish here, but I, I need to make sure I point something out which is really interesting. So verse 8, he says, you know, instructs others on what to do. He says, surely men of low degree are a vapor or vanity or nothing. Men of high degree are a lie. You know, people who put their trust in. Uh, on Sunday morning, first service, I made some comment. I don't know, I came out, there was just kind of this boldness I said what I said, whatever it was, I don't remember. And I said something about trusting in man. Don't trust in man. Trust in God. Do we really think that we're going to make things better by the arm of the flesh? And I had some people, they kind of gave me the stink eye. They're very political. And, I, and people that are really political, that they think that that's the answer. Dan, 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 calm down. Dan, once Trump's back in the White House, everything's going to be great. Really? You're trusting in man. He's a lie. He's a vapor. He's nothing. I mean, that's true of all men. That, that's what David said. He's not speaking about anyone in, you know, in particular. He's just simply saying, look what he says. He says, men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. <coughs> In other words, they are lighter than nothing. That's what he says. Guys, are you seeing this? See, to me, this is so beautiful because David is giving the right perspective. Not man. Not the arm of the flesh. Not the gun behind my back. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Only the Lord. Only the Lord. Alone I trust in the Lord, uh, regardless of what anyone else is doing. It's the Lord, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. And I'm telling you, I, I'm convinced that the Lord wants to get us there. He says, do not trust in <coughs> oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. I was talking to a relative of mine. And um, she has, through different things, has become fairly well off, financially speaking. And 
the the wealth that she has has possessed her for a long time. It has, you know, you would think, man, you, you got it made. You know, you probably sleep well at night. No, I don't sleep well at night. I'm concerned about the stuff I have, concerned about the wealth I have, you know. And I was talking to her, and she was saying, well, uh, it looks like all of our money in the bank could diminish in value overnight. I said, yeah. She says, it looks as if, you know, what we have, I mean, could just go away. Almost like what I wrote down the psalm, or this proverb, Proverbs 23, 5. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. And I said, yeah. And she said to me, I feel like I'm being set free from my dependence. It hasn't happened yet. But she says, I feel like I've been set free. The idea that they could just go away. She said, I think that I made them an idol in my life. And I wanted to say, yeah, but I didn't say yeah. I just said, oh, that, that's good. You know, the Lord's good to show us things. But it's true, isn't it? I mean, you know, you, we have to have such a light touch on this earth because, you know, you, um, if we trust in riches, and, and we trust in riches by making riches the source of our joy, I just can't be happy because I just don't have, I don't have anything to fall back on, you know, or our security or placing our hope in riches, are growing proud and arrogant because of riches. I think that for a lot of people, they're rich. No, not for anyone in this room, but, but for a lot of people, I think that probably their riches are keeping them from fully being committed to the Lord. You know, um, they talk about, I know I'm out of time now, but so... Um, this, uh, what do they call it? Social equity or social, um, you know, how you got to watch what you say or you could be penalized, you know. We saw this, of course, in Canada. You know, that country far, far away from us in Canada when people were supporting the truckers, remember that? And their bank accounts were being seized and and uh, all of these things. Remember those poor people in that third world country? What is it, two hours away from us, you know? Um, and, and we saw that and we thought, wow, how could they do that? How could they have authority? How could they have power to do that, you know? Because these people were supporting these truckers? You know, they say... Uh, Isn't it interesting how hate speech has changed? 
So now if you say anything, anything, oh boy, about any group, but the Jews, the Jews are still open target. You, you know, you want to, uh, you know, blast the Jews, you could do that and get away with it. Uh, that's not even considered anything today, obviously, in our country, which is a crying shame. But you could be canceled. You can't say that. We're shutting you down. I encourage you guys to listen to different, uh, you know, prophecy guys, guys I listen to, many of them guys and a gal, uh, Jan Markell, uh, Olive Tree Ministries, wonderful ministry, um, Barry Stagner, Tom Hughes. Um, <laughs> there's so many of them, John Howler, uh, so many of these guys, they just simply take what's happening in the news and then they, they kind of see how it could possibly fit into prophetic things. And every one of these guys, uh, these people that I listen to have been canceled at one time or another. Their, their YouTube you know, venue has been shut down because they've said something that YouTube deemed uh, hateful or uh, offensive. Isn't that funny? Offensive. Have you been on YouTube? <laughs> you know, I mean, there, is, there are so many obscene things. But you say something, and that becomes offensive. Not appropriate for all ages. Could you imagine? I listen to Bible prophecy programs that have that warning on it. Not appropriate for all ages. Some of their programs. Because they're talking about something. They're talking about the very same things. In fact, many times they're quoting or showing the actual videos of, of, of what the media is showing. I know I get off on things, but, and I'm, I'm sorry. But I, I just I look at these things and I, I think of how we need, we need to be reminding ourselves. I don't know about you, but there are times that I need to remind myself, Lord, or... Soul, wait, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. When I feel myself fretting, wait, 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 just trust the Lord, trust the Lord. Yes, yes. Kind of reassuring yourself. I, I think it's inter interesting in verse 6, going back to verse 6, and that's the thing I almost missed, is only in my rock, my, uh, let's see, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. Look what it says, I shall not be moved. You say, yeah, it's just a repeat of what we saw earlier. No, it's not. Earlier, he says, I will not be greatly moved. Here, it's almost as if he digs his heels in and says, no, I won't be moved at all. Not greatly, not at all. I'm trusting the Lord. See, it's this resolve. I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord regardless of, of, of what I'm feeling what I'm experiencing. You know, guys, during the COVID days, when um, <laughs> the same COVID that's out there today, woo, it's going to get you. And the churches were closed down. And our church opened up. And I think people felt brave, not you guys, but others. We're going to go to that church. What church? Calvary Chapel, because they're staying open. 
This is our time to shine. We are warriors. They cannot tell us that we won't be able to go to church. We're going to church. And I remember talking with some of the leadership, and we thought, well, let's just kind of watch and see when the dust settles. Sometimes we become so bold when someone says no. What do you mean I can't read my Bible? Give me that. I'm going, to read the, I'm going to read it for hours. Who are you to say? Look, but did you read it before they said you couldn't read it? You, you know what I mean? I mean, rather than saying, you know what? This is who I am. I'm not pretending to be something because someone's telling me I can't do it any longer and I want to look like a hero. I want to be, I want to be prepared for whatever comes, Lord, because I don't know what's coming. I have no idea what's coming. Uh, you know, they say that the price of grain, we don't, they don't even have to say it to us. We know it. Tracy will come home. She'll bring the groceries home. And I say, oh, you just got a few items. She'll go, oh, this is for the week. Yeah. And I, how much? And, and it was like, you know, twice as much as it was a, a few years ago. And you go, wow, this is unbelievable. Everything's going up. You know, uh, you think of trying to buy a house right now. Could you imagine trying to buy a house right now? You're, you'd be buying so high, you know, it's just unbelievable how things are. Try to buy a car, a car, a car that, that is, so cars nowadays, just, you know, regular vehicles are twice as much as what my parents paid for their first house. It's just unbelievable, you know, and, oh, yeah, but we're making a lot more money. Really? Does it matter how much you make? If you made $100 a week and things were at a reasonable price, would it make any difference than if you made 30000 a week and, and things are, you, you know what I mean? It, it really doesn't matter. But we know that the world is changing all around us, and so we want to be people who are resolved. We're settled. We're, we're, okay, Lord, things have gone it's difficult. Lord, 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 I knew in the last days that the United States is not mentioned. Israel's mentioned, Iran is mentioned, Russia's mentioned, Turkey's mentioned, all of these other nations are mentioned, and, and we're not there to help Israel. Why aren't we there to help Israel? We are the leaders of the world. We are the greatest nation on planet Earth. Why aren't we there? And we don't know. And it should scare us a bit as Americans, because if anyone has been the head and not the tail, it's been the United States of America. But the fact of the matter is, we're diminishing in power, in credibility. It seems like it's happening on purpose. And we're looking at it, and we're saying, what is happening here? And we let every dark, horrible thing come into our country. We are the biggest producers of pornography. We have people that are, are slaves to pornography. I'll tell you, I shouldn't say this as a pastor because people talk to me about things, but if I hear from one other person that they're having a porn problem, I think I'm going to jump off the bridge because it's so sad to me. It's so sad to me. We need to just stop because it's ruining our lives, it's destroying us. You know, addicted to this and addicted to that, and I could not possibly be without this or be without that. And we're, we're just so undisciplined as the church of Jesus Christ. I wish I could say it's all on the outside. 
on the outside. They're the ones that are all getting divorced. They're the ones that are all addicted to pornography. They're the ones that are gambling their paychecks away at the casinos around us. They're the ones with the problems, the drinking or the drug addictions. But it's not true. It's in the church as well. And it ought not be that way. And the reason it's that way is because we're not committing ourselves to the Lord. It's true, it's true, it's true, it's true, it's true. We're not giving ourselves to the Lord. We say we are, but we're not. And the proof is seen in the weakness of our lives. And I'll tell you, we need to trust in the Lord. He needs to be our refuge. He needs to be our salvation. That salvation is not speaking of salvation from sin. It's speaking of victory. It's speaking of security. It's speaking of prosperity. Not in a you know money way, spiritually speaking. That's what that word salvation means here in, in, in uh, Psalm 62. And we need to get stronger because we don't know what's going to come. And if, and if things really get bad... Are we going to stand? God has spoken once, twice. I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Amen. Also to you. Now he addresses the Lord. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies are new every morning. For you render to each one according to his works. You know what I love about what we're seeing in Israel? A few months ago, we were concerned well, you might not have been concerned. I, I, I was concerned, mildly, I guess, um, with all of the uh, division in Israel, po- politically speaking. And you had, you had Israelis who were saying, we're not going to serve. You know, we're, we're supposed to serve. We're, we're, we're all as a, a reserve military. <coughs> we're not going reser- to We're not going to show up. We're not going to serve. And then this tragedy hits. And I remember months ago, they were saying, what if something happened in Israel? They would be under, you know, gunned, and, you know, because obviously a lot of these people kind of rebellion against the the powers that be. We're not going to show up. So then trouble hits. Hits like that. That's how trouble is. It hits like that. They didn't see it coming. They're completely taken by surprise. It hits. So they call up the reserves. They call up the military. They, you know, what was it? They had like 150% of people coming and saying, we're serving. We're here. We want to do it. Why? Because our lives depend upon it. And I would hope, as Christians, that we would at least have that sense of diligence. Not taking up arms to fight, but taking up arms, I mean, spiritually speaking, you know, we need to stand together. This is, times are difficult now. It, it, we, we're all called up front, you know, we all need to do our part. We need to pray like we've never prayed before. We need to encourage one another like we've never encouraged one another before. And I hope that we would, we would, we would hear the call and that we would all stand and, and come forward. Lord, would you help us to be a church that is strong, and not just Calvary Chapel, Oak Harbor, but, but the church in the United States of America. Lord, we repent for the selfish ignorance, uh, 
of your people, the deliberate biblical illiterance. We repent of that. We're sorry, Lord, that that's the case of so many within the church. Lord, we're sorry that, that your church loves the same things that the world loves, that we're, we're, we're drawn to the same thing that the world is drawn to. Um, forgive us, Lord, for that. Lord, we're, we're, we're sorry that, that so much of the church today is man-centered. What do I get out of it? Give me my money. Give me my wealth. Give me my prosperity rather than glory be to God putting you first, all rallying around you, our King, our Lord, rather than, than seeking what we get out of it, that we're the givers, and we're saying the gospel needs to go forth. We need to pick up where we've dropped off and, and share the gospel to those around us. Father, I pray that if things get bad, if all of a sudden our neighbors now are coming to us for help, that we would be able to give them the help that they need. We pray, Lord, that we'd be ready, not just with a hot cup of soup, but with the gospel, the most needed thing. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we'd be faithful. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we'd not be sitting there tapping our, you know, Fingers on, 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 the, on the table impatiently saying, where's the Lord? Where's the Lord? Where's the Lord? He's got to get us out of here. But that we'd be saying, Lord, we're here. And until you call us home, give us our marching orders for this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.